0: Welcome to this week's edition of Honestly Speaking, where telling the truth in a time of universal deceit is a revolutionary act. Well, summer is officially here. I'm super excited about that. For me as a Jersey girl, that means I can finally go down the shore. If you're not from the Jersey area, you may not understand that, but those of you that are from the Jersey area, get what that means. Even though I live in the DC DC area now, doesn't matter. I still can't wait to go down the shore. I drive the three hours my husband and I go, drive the three hours to go down the shore and enjoy ourselves. The boardwalk, pizza, Coors ice cream, its custard actually, traditions, sausage and peppers in the boardwalk. It's great. So the official kickoff to summer means it's time to go down the shore. My mom is down there now and I'm so jealous because we can't get away for a couple more weeks, but... I can't wait, I'm counting down the days, counting down the days. I love summer. So it's been an interesting week. Um, A bunch of Donald Trump missteps, craziness, just more, just alarming things happening. Most um, recently Iran, Uh, and, and just, he's just so erratic. He really is. Some people think crazy like a fox, I don't agree with that. But what happened with Iran, they shot down. Well, Iran's been a bad actor. Let's just get that straight first. They are a bad actor. They are the world's number one state sponsor of terror. A lot of American blood has been shed as a result of terrorists that Iran has sponsored. Even in the Iraq war, they were behind a lot of suicide missions and things to take out our troops. So, I mean, Iran is just a bad actor, and they they have been. And they've been acting up again. And I don't want to get into a whole thing about the Iran deal and all of that. I I might dedicate a separate podcast to what happened with the Iran deal, which I did not agree with at the time, by the way, because I felt it wasn't tough enough. So I don't completely blame the Trump administration from withdrawing. The problem is that they didn't have a plan B, And they didn't have any international support behind them. So that was concerning. But we are where we are now. And Iran has been causing some trouble out there in the Straits of Hormuz and attacking oil tankers and things. And then they shot down a drone of ours, an unmanned drone. So Donald Trump claimed that he was supposed to retaliate and had had approved airstrikes and then 10 minutes beforehand pulled back, decided that the civilian casualties were too much. He thought it was a disproportionate response for an unmanned drone. Well, this caused a lot of controversy because it didn't make sense. What do you mean 10 minutes beforehand? Nobody briefed you? That's not the way it normally goes. So a lot of folks that are in the national security... Uh, apparatus and people who are veterans of military operations are going, wait, 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 way. <laughs> That's not normally how it goes. You were briefed on casualties way before you give the green light. So the timeline, the sequence of events didn't make sense. It seemed to fit more with the drama of a television show or a movie. Like, oh, the president got some kind of boost of moral confidence and said, Oh no, I can't do the, the, the collateral damage is too much. Pull them back. Abort. Like it's some movie script, except this is real life and there's real world consequences on the international stage. Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to see a war in Iran, but Iran also doesn't, they need to pay a, a pay consequences for what they've done and what they continue to do. And the maximum pressure campaign that we've put on them with sanctions and things has had some effect. It looks like, th- like Trump is putting on sanctions again, more sanctions on them. But this is a dangerous situation. It really is. And I just don't like the misrepresentation of, of how things actually happen. It makes them look weak. I don't want to hear that it's unpredictable. It makes them look weak. Not crazy like a fox. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He just doesn't. And um, my guest this week, which is, uh, he's, he's someone who's covered Trump for almost 30 years, David K. Johnston. He's an investigative reporter, and he runs the site um, DCReport.org. He's done a lot of work on uncovering uh, financial crimes and tax cheats and things like that. And he just ta- he also knows Trump's persona from covering him for so long. he talks a little bit about, about that. He talks about, he has his own theory about why Trump did what he did with Iran, which is very different from what a lot of other people think. I thought it was interesting, but so stay tuned for him. David K. Johnston, he's coming up. He actually has a lot of very provocative things to say about Donald Trump. Um, it is really a compelling and explosive interview. So be sure to stay tuned for that. I'm not going to talk long beforehand because it's a, it's a pretty extensive interview, but I just wanted to kind of do a little political roundup of some thoughts on some things that have been going on. So so that's Iran. I think it was a disaster. I'm glad that we didn't like start a mini war with them, but there needs to be a cohesive strategy, and there isn't. There just isn't. So what kind of message does that send to Iran? What are they going to do next? I, I, who knows? Who knows? But I just don't know if there's any adults in the room. We don't have a defense secretary, at least... At least we're working on getting a new one. The former, I mean, the current Army Secretary is now being um, submitted to become SecDef, and he's pretty well known and gets along with folks in the Hill. and I think he'll be a better a better fit at this point. I hope. I don't know. People seem to lose their integrity and lose their stature by the time they serve a couple months in this administration. At least Jim Mattis had enough sense to get out before that happened to him. So we'll see with that, but I, I'm just unnerved. This is what happens when you when you have someone like Donald Trump with the power of the presidency behind him with no foreign policy experience, claiming he knows more than the generals. But nobody buys that it was because of 150 potential civilian casualties that that's why he pulled back. It's bullshit. And he got challenged on it, he got challenged on the timeline. He kind of talked around in circles when he when Chuck Todd did his interview. He didn't really give a full answer. And, um, you know, it's just now we just wait till the next potential foreign policy crisis. But at least he didn't fumble us into, into a war with Iran, which would be a disaster. Iran's not Iraq. They have a very sophisticated military. They're very well financed. And they're a tougher opponent. I mean, the United States is the U.S. No one's better than us. But it doesn't matter. I mean, this it could be there's so many more implications with the control of the Strait of Hormuz, Oil is an issue. It's 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 just a mess. We need a cohesive policy. So we have to pay attention and stay tuned to see what happens there. What else happened? Um, oh, Joe Biden. So everyone knows that I that I support Joe Biden, and I just think he's had a little bit of rust. He's been a little rusty with his campaign, but he still leads considerably everywhere. And some will argue that it's a soft support for him because of his name recognition and the goodwill from his time as VP with Obama. But over the weekend was this big cattle call in South Carolina, and a bunch of the candidates were there, like 20 of the candidates were there. And Biden kind of went into that weekend with some controversy over remarks he made last week about working with this nasty segregationist, Senator Eastland. He was a bastard, by the way, Democrat back in the day. And he was reminiscing about civility. And he used the example of how he worked with this segregationist senator as an example of how he was still able to get things done. Now, I understood the point he was trying to make, that if you want to get legislation passed the way our system works, you have to work with the people who are your fellow colleagues in the House and Senate. No matter how vile they may be, your work is to work on behalf of your constituents and get laws passed. You can't do that if you don't work with the other side. So he was trying to make the point that he could be a bridge builder. Was it a great example? Eh? If I were advising him, I probably would not have told him to use that example because the environment now is so racially charged and everybody's, you know, instead of the greater point of that he can reach across the aisle and work with people, that's not what became the story. What became the story was, oh, he's reminiscing about the days of yesteryear when there was civility amongst segregationists and other senators. That it was not the focus. And I just think that the, the, the left flank of the Democratic Party is going to shoot themselves in the foot if they keep trying to have this purity test of who's more woke than the next one, Honestly that is not going to get a Democrat elected. No one really cares about that outside of the Democrat left flank. The people that the Democrats need to vote for them are worrying about jobs, how to pay their mortgage, student loan debt, health care. They don't give two shits about a story that Joe Biden inartfully told with the greater point of, we need to be able to work together even if we don't get along. He's not. Joe Biden doesn't have a record of being a racist. Give me a break. I mean, I don't agree with all of his policies, but he's not one thing. He's not as a racist. Come on. So Democrats stop it. You're cannibalizing each other. And that's going to be a disaster. If you keep doing that, you're going to get another four years of Donald Trump. The singular focus should be getting Donald Trump voted out of office, period. Nothing else matters None of those other woke issues give matter at all if Donald Trump is in office again. So cut it out, progressives. Cut it out, left-wing media. The Biden pile-on was ridiculous. And even people in South Carolina, black folks were like, we don't care. John Lewis, Representative John Lewis, a civil rights icon, was like, I understood exactly what Joe Biden was saying. We had to work with people that we didn't get along with who might've even hated us in order to get things done. If, if, if John Lewis is okay with it, then I guess I'm okay with it because he literally shed blood in the fight for civil rights, personally. So people stop it. Stop trying to make something bigger out of this. Now in South Carolina, of course, it's a 60% voters are black, Minorities in South Carolina. It's an important state, especially in the order of the primaries. And a lot goes down. South Carolina politics can be very ugly, which is why this weekend's cattle call there with all the, with the, uh, they had the Democratic convention there and they had the the Jim Clyburn, Fish Fry. Representative Clyburn is number three in the House leadership. He's been in Congress a long time, very powerful member of the Congressional Black Caucus as well. And that's why it was important to see how people performed and, you know, people like Kamala Harris, they had really enthusiastic supporters there and they had pretty grand entrances with like drum lines and stuff and a lot of energy and good for them, Cory Booker too. But that is not a measure of what's going on. There's also a generational difference too. A lot of younger black voters were like, well, that was racist. And we were offended because of the terminology Joe Biden used when he said that the senator called him son, never called him boy. OK, I mean, I hear you. But again, really, compared to what Donald Trump has said and done, this is this is what you're going to argue over. It, it, it was the, the, the it, I, I, let me say this again. It was inartful. artful, Yes. And he probably should not have used that as an example. There are a myriad of other examples that Joe Biden could have used. But it's not disqualifying, people. Get over it. We've got a president who has, what, 17 women now that have accused him of sexual assault in some form. We've got a new woman now that came out and said that he raped her, well, try, almost raped her, sexually assaulted her in the dressing room of Bergdorf Goodman in New York City 25 years ago. Hello? the myriad of other horrible things that Donald Trump has said and done and we're arguing over a freaking story about civility. Come on, people, cut it out. Cut it out. By the way, George Conway, Kellyanne Conway's husband, he wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post saying that if people believed Juanita Broderick and her rape accusation against Bill Clinton back in the 90s, and how do these Republicans, how do people not take Jean Carroll, I think that's her name, the newest accusers' accusations seriously? And he thinks that her accusations are more credible against Trump than even Juanita Broderick's against Clinton. Very interesting. Kellyanne Conway's husband, folks, George Conway, wrote that. Anyway, so stop piling on Joe Biden. When he does something legitimately messed up, then we can have that conversation. But this is just nonsense. But this week, it's the Democratic debate, the first one. So I think this is going to be something that we should all watch. I have plenty to say about that for next week's podcast. Be, be sure of it. If uh, if I don't say anything on, on CNN, depending on whether I'm on air, but I'm I'm very curious to see how people perform. This, will, this is going to be a big introduction for some people who are unfamiliar with a lot of these candidates. I told you most of them, these are wasted vanity candidacies. But the top five or six, well, Kamala and Warren, Sanders, Biden, Buttigieg, these are people who have a legit shot. So we'll see. I mean, I, of course, I only think that Biden is the one that can beat Trump, but... That's just my opinion for now. I don't know. Maybe somebody else will change my mind, but that's just how I feel. And older voters who support Biden, they're more reliable voters. The young voters, yeah, you guys might have more enthusiasm, except you don't go to the polls, historically. Sorry, young folks. Do better. (laughs) Um, Speaking of doing better, I want to talk just really quickly before I bring in David K. Johnston about the situation with migrant kids at the border. Now, many of you have heard me say that I've worked on the issue of immigration before. I worked on the issue for seven years when I worked in Capitol Hill. I helped support border patrol agents. I'm not unfamiliar with a lot of what's going on there. But this situation is not right and as much as i am for strong border security i think that we need to change our immigration laws we need to do some tweaks to our asylum process we need to fix the the ability to deport people when they come over illegally instead of being caught up in a system for months or years i mean there's a lot of things that need to to change legitimately cuz the system is broken we see this every day but i also think that donald trump is uninterested in those solutions because he likes to have this as a problem, so he can point the finger at Democrats or whatever, and he uses this to fuel his base and his candidacy. Because if he helped really fix immigration, what, what's he going to run on? The economy? Okay. But he can't focus long enough, because when people feel good, they're like, okay, well, great. But immigration stirs up fear and all these other kind of emotions, and fear is a hell of a motivator, unfortunately. That's the cynical side of, of politics today, Right. So there was this report came out um about how these migrant kids are these unaccompanied minors are living in squalor uh, conditions. They don't have access to soap or toothbrushes. Some are in dirty clothes they've had on for weeks. Babies are sick. You know, 8-year-olds are taking care of 2-year-olds. It's it's a mess. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez got into some trouble for calling them concentration camps. Well, you know, that's a bit much. You don't ever really want to make co- uh, comparisons to anything that happened during the Holocaust because there's nothing to compare to that. Are these conditions terrible? Yes. Are they unacceptable, deplorable, and, and, and un-American? Yes, they are. I'm sorry. I don't care how you feel about the, the, the illegal immigration issue. These kids are unaccompanied. They are children and they don't deserve to be in conditions like this. Well, what's the problem? Well, they're getting inundated. The Border Patrol, these stations are not built to take care of young children. These, these facilities were meant for single males that were coming over in large numbers in the 80s and 90s. And the Flores Settlement, which is a illegal settlement says that you're not allowed to keep kids under 18 for longer than 72 hours in border patrol custody. They have to be turned over to health and human services. Well, that's not happening because health and human services now, they are full. They're completely over, uh, over capacity. They don't have enough people to sponsor these kids. So it's become a problem. And now they're languishing past the 72 hour deadline in these horrible conditions. And, um, it's a, it's a breakdown in the government bureaucracy and it's cruel. They need to figure it out. Stop blaming Democrats because they're not funding this or that you guys, everybody needs to, to, to stop this because these are kids and this is not the way to treat them. I'm not saying it should be like Disney world where people keep coming here, but I find it hard to believe that, they, that our federal government, the richest country in the world, can't find soap and toothbrushes and a change of clothes for these kids. Stop this. Immediately. And it looks like that outrage has, has made a difference. A couple of things have made a difference. It, uh, breaking news tonight um, in the New York Times was that these kids at this facility in Clint, Texas, hundreds of them, are now being moved to other facilities. And now the the backlog with HHS is starting to move along a little bit, because they changed some of the rules. Well, first Mexico was clamping down a bit after the pressure from Trump, threatening to close the border and tariffs and all that. So they're doing something which is controlling a little bit of the flow for now. And then the other thing is that when they when these kids go into HHS custody. They look for sponsors because they release them into the United States. That's because of an anti-trafficking, human trafficking law. They can't just turn them around and send them back uh, if they're not from Mexico. If they're Mexican, they can be deported pretty immediately. If they're from anywhere else, they have to go through an adjudicated process to see whether they can stay here or not. In the meantime, they get basically refugee resettlement status. They get resettled in the US and sometimes they already have family members here and they go with them. But the family members are oftentimes illegal immigrants also. So they don't want to come forward because before they used to have to get fingerprinted in order to sponsor one of the children or whomever. Now they've eased those rules because there's so many coming over. The influx is so large that they're just like, whatever, we just can't. We don't want to keep them locked up in these facilities. So they've eased the fingerprinting requirement. So more people are coming forward to take these kids in to sponsor them until they had their hearings. I've got news for you. When two, In 2014, under the Obama administration, when thousands and tens of thousands of these unaccompanied minors were coming over here, like 90% of them were placed somewhere in the United States, and they're still here. So these kids are almost never getting deported, by the way. And they know this, which is why they keep sending them. It's a vicious cycle, and it's not right. It's irresponsible of these parents sending their kids here. But it's our own laws here, our own system that is incentivizing them to do it because they know once they get here they're going to stay. So Trump was supposed to launch these immigration raids which which was ill advised also. Even the new even the acting DHS secretary was not in favor of this these deportation forces. And then Trump by the way pulled a plug on that and said, "Oh, I'm going to give the Democrats 2 weeks to work out a deal." claims that you know Nancy Pelosi called and they're going to work out a deal we'll see, two weeks to fix, a pro, uh, fix something that hasn't been fixed in 20 years, good luck with that so we'll see where we are in two weeks it's just irresponsible, I don't like to see it and like I said, I'm, I'm a hawk on border security and I know there's a lot of problems with the system people take advantage of it all the time but this is not the answer it's cruel and we need to do better well, um, with that said, it's time to bring in this week's guest, David K. Johnston, who runs DCReport.org. This is a great interview. He's—he's. He's, we could have talked for hours, but um, he offers a lot of interesting, interesting information, especially about Donald Trump's finances and uh, some other things. So, here comes David K. Johnston. guest on honestly speaking is someone who i think is fascinating because of his Decades of investigative reporting. He is a Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter. He's also the founder of the DC Report. He founded that in 2016, which is an online journal that covers the president and this administration. He's written books about Donald Trump. He wrote one in 2016 called "The Making of Donald Trump," uh, which was very interesting. It's where I first became familiar with David K. Johnston. He's also the author of the book, the 2018 book. It's even worse than you think, what the Trump administration is doing to America. So, David K. Johnston, welcome to Honestly Speaking. Lots to talk about. thank you, Tara. My pleasure, my pleasure. So let's start off with some of what you've been doing on your uh, um, DCReport.com website. And you've been working on this multi-series report about the Koch papers. Explain what that is.
1: Well, we have almost a thousand pages of internal records of Bill Koch, who's the third of the four Koch brothers. Uh, the must ones are David and Charles, who are worth about fifty billion each. Uh, Dave, um, Bill Koch is worth maybe four billion, uh, and he's very heavily involved in uh, the sale of something called petroleum coke. It's a residue of oil refining that's an exceptionally dirty fuel. It's as bad as a uh, the worst coal. And uh, we got a hold of these internal records uh, from his uh, lawyers for his former chief tax executors, his company, and here's what they show. He's been uh, enjoying an income over $100 million a year since uh, 2009 while paying no income taxes. Uh, He does this by claiming that his company earns its profits in the Bahamas. He has a little office in a shopping center there with three employees, when all the pet coke business is here in America and in various places overseas, but heavily here in the United States. That's not suspicious at all. (laughs) Uh, Right. and. I have. Uh, I was the New York Times tax reporter for 13 years, and I've exposed lots of tax dodges. That's right. the reason these folks came to me, but that is just the beginning of it. Um, uh, yeah, the way the law is organized, even if you get your profits to the Bahamas tax-free, when you take the money back to the U.S. to yourself, it's income. Except he declares it isn't income. He declares that it is um, additions to basis of his investment. So we. If- If you buy a stock for a hundred dollars and the price of it goes up to two hundred and you sell, you only pay profit taxes on the profit, the hundred dollar profit. The hundred dollars you paid to buy the stock is called basis. And he's taking the position that the profits being added to his company are basis, and therefore he can withdraw them. The IRS had him under criminal investigation. We published an email that established that, and he was the only Trump brother to support Donald Trump. He raised a million dollars for Trump, and he lives, by the way, a four-minute walk from Mar-a-Lago. in Mar-a-Lago, yep. And after Trump became president, the investigation was dropped. Now We quoted the lawyer, the principal lawyer for for the whistleblower is saying, you know, Donald picked up the phone. Uh, I don't know if that's necessary at all. The IRS has been so shrunk and so beaten down and suffering so much from the equivalent of battered wife syndrome that my guess is executives there on their own said, nope, let's go on and do some of the target. But in any event, he's getting away with this. And then we showed that when he was audited, the IRS asked for records, which you routinely do. They sure. said the, they don't exist or you can't find them. So this tax executive went into the computer, found them in a couple of minutes, told Bill Koch this, whereupon he was banned from contact with the IRS, and as soon as the audits were closed with no changes made because they didn't have the documents, he was fired. Um, and then we finally, in our fourth piece, we showed that Bill Koch uh coveted a 26-acre uh a vacation estate on Cape Cod that belonged to Bunny Mellon, who's a big Washington socialite and art mm-hmm. philanthropist. Uh, she was 102 years old, and he wanted it so much he paid her more than three times what it was worth, 63 million dollars. Wow! And then he took a tax loss of 43 million dollars. Now you can't take a tax loss on your personal home. That's just a flat rule in the uh, you know if you buy a new house and because you move somewhere and you paid too much for it when you go to sell it it's not worth as much as you paid for it. Congress says tough luck, that's not our problem. And the reason for that
0: is to avoid fraud, I'm assuming.
1: Well, you know, it's just a tax policy that's your personal purchase. Just like you know, when you buy a car, it's worth less after you buy it. Right. We could decide to let people deduct real estate losses for their personal residences. We don't. If you own a commercial building or an apartment building you rent out the units in, then it's deductible if there's loss. Right. Uh, Bill Koch gave the Wall Street Journal an interview and gave other people interviews where he t- talked about expanding his vacation home and taking note of the fact that he has six grown children. And this would give him more privacy. But in a statement, he told us that the reason he could take the loss is it was an investment property. (laughs) Well, you can't cut it both ways. Right. The issue that we're raising here is uh, something I've written about for years. America has two income tax systems, separate and unequal. One system is for wage earners, pensioners, um, people who get what's called verified income. You know, you get a W-2 statement because your employer tells the federal government exactly to the penny how much you were paid. There's another group of people, however, international business people like Donald Trump and Bill Koch. They pay whatever tax they want unless they're audited because there's no verification of most of their income. If they sell stock at a profit because of a, a change in law that I my reporting helped bring about, that would be reported. But from your businesses itself, uh, you tell the government what you say was the profit. And unless the government audits you, then uh, that tax return is accepted as proper. And we know that people who don't have their income verified grossly understate their income and overstate their tax expenses and cheat like crazy. The taxpayer advocate tells us this in report after report, not just for that group, but all for people who own a home business called a Schedule C business. Mm -hmm. And we're not enforcing the law here, and we're not enforcing it because Congress has cut and cut and cut the IRS. The IRS has been so severely cut, uh, the tax police, as I call them, that I've talked to people who are having trouble just getting their refunds processed because there aren't enough people. It's and pretty,
0: this it's co- pretty yeah. remarkable because I mean, obviously, the IRS is the most feared agency for everybody, uh, except apparently for people. <clears throat> excuse me, like Bill Koch or Donald Trump, who have means and they're able to cheat the system. And, and I think that's a right. legitimate uh, gripe for years that people. Feel as though that there isn't, the tax system is not fair. The loopholes and and, and what they have access to is not fair.
1: Yeah. Tara, for most people, you can't cheat. If you're a wage earner in America, there are only two areas where you can cheat. You can claim more in charitable deductions than you actually made, and you can overstate your property tax, except that they have computers that tell you the general range of what your property tax should be. That's it. Everything else is verified. So we've essentially, for uh, salaried workers, uh, uh, hourly workers, we've eliminated the opportunity to cheat. We actually have a highly efficient, effective system Um, people who don't file get into trouble and why you wouldn't file is beyond me but uh, people who don't file get into trouble but for people who have international businesses to have the, the law enforcement essentially handcuffed And then on top of that, uh, back in the late 90s, the IRS was ordered by Congress to put in a rule that if they're going to audit a corporation, they have to tell the company in advance exactly what they're going to audit. And when auditors find other things, because I flew around the country and interviewed dozens of IRS auditors back then, um, uh, you can't look into it unless it's outright fraud. So IRS auditors find things. By the way, the typical IRS corporation... Corporate auditor, whose maximum possible salary, if you live in Hawaii or San Francisco and you get uh, location pay bonuses, is about one hundred and sixty thousand uh, dollars. They find, on average, twenty million dollars that's owed to the government. Wow! If if you own a business and you have got a salesperson who costs you one hundred and sixty grand and they bring in. million. You go out and hire more of those people. You don't fire these people, which is what Congress has been doing under both Democrats and Republicans, except for a, a little blip of increased funding under Obama, which lasted one year. This has been on a downhill slide since the beginning of the Reagan era, actually since the end of the Reagan era, Reagan's actual term, around 1988. And today we're at record low levels of audits of individuals, audits of corporations, audits of wealthy people. The only thing that's gone up, and this is one of the things I won my Pulitzer Prize for um, years ago, are audits of the working poor. (laughs) If you make less than $30,000 a year and claim the earned income tax credit we audit you like crazy even though at the end of the day almost all the problems that are found turn out to be you know a couple split up and both mom and dad claim the kids right and one of them you know only one of them can get it and then there's a dispute over it it is it is just there are republicans in congress who say oh it's all fraud and abuse and yet most of the cases turn out to be no. They're not no fraud and no abuse. And the IRS in order to satisfy Congress has put people through horrible circumstances. I have talked to single mothers who had to take time off work. They bring in their child's birth certificate, they bring in the school records of where they're going to school and the IRS agent will say, Well that's not sufficient proof that you live in the building. So uh, uh, I talked to one woman in New York City who got her school superintendent to come on an hour long subway ride each direction to come with her. The super in her building. Wow. You know, this kid lives in the building that's not good enough either.
0: And, and what's what's remarkable about that is, and not saying that any kind of, of um, misrepresentation when it comes to your taxes or the IRS is okay, but it just seems to me that that would be a misplaced priority. What are we talking about here? A couple well, of thousand it, 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 dollars? It, it, it's because it's yeah, taxpayer it, money. It,
1: it, at, at most, you're talking absolute most on the outside. You're talking about about around four thousand dollars, right? And. And compared to Bill Koch's over $106 million a year average with no taxes paid, uh, we're really missing the boat here. But, you know, we've long had government policies – pushed heavily by the Republicans uh, in Congress to go after uh, poor people and working people and to look the other way at the activities of very wealthy people. And Donald Trump's a perfect example of this. Right, uh, did is, you know, Tara, before you read my transition.
0: book,
1: <laughs> that, yeah, did, did, <laughs> did you know before you read my biography, The Making of Donald Trump, that he had two income tax fraud trials and lost them both? I did know or was that. Was that the first you learned about it? No, I
0: did know that because I'm from New Jersey, so I grew up in the Donald Trump era of the. But you,
1: know, you knew the about the tax fraud trials? I did. I don't think-
0: yeah, no, I did I knew about them before I read your book only because there were um, during the election there were things coming out about Donald Oh Trump that was tax. my work.
1: Yeah. I I actually published it first in the Daily Beast okay. before my book came out. Yeah. So but nobody knew about it until then. But here's the shocking part of it. The New York Times where I worked for many years, the LA Times where I worked for many years, the Washington Post, they never published that Donald Trump had lost two income tax fraud trials. They never told their that Donald Trump was deeply, deeply entangled with a major international cocaine trafficker, so much so that I've said on both CNN and MSNBC that the only logical explanation of the Trump's conduct that I lay out in the book from the public record is that he was involved in cocaine trafficking. And Donald, if you're listening, uh, if you think I just slandered you, sue me. <laughs> and then uh, they the have record, access
0: to, the, to his records, like, like what yeah. happened with Tim O'Brien. Yeah,
1: they're, pub, they're public records that journalists never went and dug up. Normally, when someone runs for president, the big newspapers do what's called a scrub. Uh, so that's why the, the, the LA Times dug up stuff about Bill Clinton and the New York Times other stuff about Bill Clinton. It's what Gary Hart, who was going to be clearly the Democratic nominee in 1988, um, they scrubbed him and, and came up with, you know, he had This mistress. um, I mean, I don't particularly care that he had a mistress, but it it ended his career. Um, My the health New York changed. Times when when Barack Obama ran the New York Times sent reporters to Hawaii and in Indonesia they found his kindergarten playmates in Indonesia and the boys he smoked marijuana with in Honolulu in high school and wrote about them uh, 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 women who dated uh, George W Bush who was a notorious womanizer as a young man The Times went and found these women and they interviewed them about him and and checked you know his business records Records. There was no vetting of Donald Trump by the big newspapers. I've vetted him. Yeah. The Washington Post wrote a very namby-pamby book that sort of, you know, told you a little bit and was a real snoozer. But there was no digging into the records of Donald Trump. When I had asked, you know, people, journalists in New York City, they would say everybody knows, and I'd go, no. No, you don't. First of all, you don't know a lot of stuff because I've been publishing it and you haven't. But secondly, that you know something doesn't mean people in Iowa and Indiana and Michigan and Wisconsin know any of that. They just know the TV show.
0: That is a fair point that I try to make throughout the election. As you know, I'm a longtime Republican. I've been horrified by Donald Trump. I try to warn people that this guy was a con man. He was you know, engaged in all kinds of fraud that he was a terrible businessman, and that the image that he portrayed on The Apprentice was nothing more than a facade. And people, you know, some listened, but most didn't. And I was critical, too. I thought that the media really didn't do what you said um, with Donald Trump, because I think it was a, what Les Moonves said, that he it's great for ratings, bad for America. I think they got caught up and never thought he had a chance of winning. And well, that, look where that would we are now.
1: To- that would apply to TV, Tara, um, and Mundes was uh, disturbingly honest about that. Right. But- That's not the economics of newspapers. Newspapers depend on regular readers who are subscribers with the paper through thick and thin. And there was just a breakdown and a failure here. And the paper that matters in all of these elections is always the New York Times. Every leading, prominent journalist in the country gets up in the morning and the first thing they do is check what's in the New York Times. Right. And um, uh, so it was a the, the Times unfortunately had a politics editor who had never worked in covering serious. National politics at all was was just not qualified for the job, and completely muffed it. I don't know whether it would have changed the outcome of the election or not. Um, You know, Hillary Clinton had her own problems and did not deal with them particularly well. But now we're saddled with someone who is—I mean, I've—I've covered Donald for 31 years, longer than anybody else. It's a long time. Yeah, he—he's—he's—you know—he's not—he goes around calling himself a, a genius, average. Uh, uh, intelligence. He doesn't know anything. He claims to be the world's greatest expert on 22 different <laughs> subjects. One of them is tax policy, on yeah. which I'm a world renowned expert. <laughs> right. So let me give you my little spiel about that. Donald says, uh, quote, no one in the history of the world knows more about taxes than Donald Trump. Well, that would be the equivalent of my telling you and your audience nobody knows more about airplane design than I do. Aleutian, Boeing, they know nothing compared to my knowledge. Uh, Tara, what's a wing?
0: Oh, I know. It's re- it's ridiculous.
1: That, I mean, listen,
0: all you need to know is that Donald Trump said he knows more about, he knows more than the generals. A guy right. who dodged the draft claiming fake bone spurs and saying that he knows more than the generals. I mean, right. it's it's absurd, but the scary part is he's in a position of power. He's the president of the United States, commander in chief, and he's making major decisions. And we just saw what that looked like with the Iran in uh, incident recently, what's happening at the border Border. I mean it, it's a disaster but his but his cult followers are still caught up in believing that this man is some kind of genius who's changing America yeah. back to what it's its greatness again but I want to ask you something uh, about the um, about Trump's finances that I think that people because you are such an expert in this and you have investigated this for so long um, the New York Times something they did do well and there's a lot of great reporters over at the New York Times that have been doing amazing work when they uncovered the long-time, almost $500 million in potential uh, tax cheating that Donald Trump and his family have engaged in. What did you think about that? That that would have taken down anybody else.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm the one who got his 2005 tax return, which we exposed at DC report. And then I Mm -hmm. went on uh, Rachel Maddow as a guest. There's a lot of people attribute it to her. She had nothing to do with it except had me on as a guest. And the Times has credited me with inspiring them to go really dig into his taxes. And and I I understand exactly why. How embarrassing it would have been for the New York Times if as a you know a Technically a pensioner, I had uh, been able to get a hold of these tax, additional tax returns, and they didn't with all right. their resources. Right, and they did an incredible job. Right, it was like over a year. Or I'm something. the former president of our National Association of Investigative Reporters, investigative reporters and editors. I've judged uh, contests and and you know everybody who does serious investigative reporting. I know them in this country, and. That project, which when I sat down to read the fourteen thousand words, I was prepared to have a number of points where I would wince at errors in accounting, business concepts, economics, or the very, very difficult issue of tax. There wasn't a comma out of place. That is the single most masterfully reported and written investigative story I have ever read. And I mean I'm I've done projects in the New York Times that were as big as that one. Wow. And that's a, had, that's high praise. Had, had as many words and they absolutely nailed this. They were incredibly thorough and careful. And it's also, there were a number of things ordinary readers wouldn't see, but I and other people in tax read and realized the Times has a lot more. It just hasn't developed yet about um, t- Donald Trump's tax cheating. I mean, understand, Donald Trump is is the third generation head of a white-collar crime family. They don't go around breaking people's legs the way mafia and Albanian and Russian mobsters do. Uh, he's in the business of stealing and cheating from you in other ways. Um, uh, Trump has done things like, you know, ordered a custom made dress for one of his wives that should have cost t- tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, hard as that may be for many people to imagine, there are lots of women out there who buy dresses that cost uh, you know, in the ten to hundred thousand dollar figure uh, per dress, and just walked out of the store with it and wouldn't pay for it. I've talked to, to uh, merchants who gave him goods and services, and he refused to pay, or in the case that continued after he was in the White House, um, the owner of a Benjamin Moore paint dealership in Miami, Florida, knowing Trump's reputation when Trump uh, uh, wanted to buy paint from him for the Doral Country Club, which he was fixing up. He went to the site and said, if I have to file a mechanics lien, that's what someone does if you don't pay a bill for repairings on your, repairing your house, putting in a new air conditioner or something. Um, and they gave him the name of the company. And when Trump only paid two-thirds of the bill, he sued. And they immediately said, oh, you sued the wrong company. Uh, well, that's not the right name of the company you should have done. And a judge said, no, 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 no. You can't lie to the man and then get away with that. Well, Trump still wouldn't pay. And this case went on. It went up to appeals courts. It came back down. This guy spent three hundred thousand dollars in legal bills for about one hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars because he just was not going to be cheated. And which Trump is notorious for. This is just he one example, does this all the
0: time. right? Because I know if, if what he, he did it- in I know what he did in Atlantic City, and I tried to give examples of that. And Kellyanne Conway, by the way, yes, that Kellyanne Conway. She sat next to me on a panel on CNN during the election when she was working for Ted Cruz. And also enumerated examples of how Trump was a terrible businessman and screwed over the the, the uh, small business owners and the little guy, right. and and yet look at where she is now. But That's so right. yes, there's a litany so, so in it, the examples Donald, of examples. So and
1: what Donald would do is he would literally say to people, "Well, sue me." Well. Right. Go to a lawyer and say I got cheated out of one hundred thousand dollars, and the lawyer say, "Well, you got three hundred thousand dollars in legal fee money to put up because that's what's going to cost you." Yeah, and he knows that. that's why he does it. But Ultimately, in Florida, a judge got tired of all this back and forth and all the paperwork. You, you know, judges are not interested in in people who aren't uh, straightforward. Sure, and uh... uh... they put the manager of the Dural country club under oath and the judge said what's going on here explain to me why this apparently uh, everything we've seen this bill is due why isn't it paid and the witness gave the exact donald trump answer Mr. Trump feels he has paid enough. Well, that isn't how it works. You know, right. If your company doesn't say to you, you know, this week we're only going to pay you through Wednesday because we, d- we think we've paid enough. No, you sign a contract, you have to pay. And the only people who do this, they're thieves and crooks. And Donald Trump is a lifelong thief and crook, just like his father and yep. just like his grandfather.
0: Yep. And he also, after he does that, he doesn't pay the law firms that he used to sue these people. Right. He pays them, uh, you know, thirty cents on the dollar as well, and then moves on to the next law firm. Why anyone would ever continue to represent Donald Trump is beyond me, because you're never going to get paid. And that, yeah, and well, that I is- know from from Kellyanne Conway's husband, George Conway, who has told me stories about that uh, personally. So, and this was yeah. before the election.
1: Oh, yeah, no, Donald is notorious for this kind of of work, and uh, you know he he regards the notorious Roy Cohn as a second father, and he has written in his books uh, that Roy Cohn taught him, you know, always attack, law enforcement catches you doing something, attack the legitimacy of law enforcement, look what Trump has been doing about the FBI Mm -hmm. and about Mueller, that never apologize, even if it's obvious you're wrong, you never apologize, you never correct, the other person is wrong, and, and then, you know, don't pay people. And he's gotten away with this his entire life because our laws and our law enforcement when it comes to white collar crime, frankly, are quite weak. I mean, there's enormous amounts of wrongdoing that go on with people who steal with a pen, uh, who lie. That's why the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, that Elizabeth Warren, who is a expert in the area of bankruptcy law, among other things, got set up. And we've seen from it that here's a federal agency that that has returned to consumers more than three times the amount of money we spent on the agency. I mean, that's a tremendous uh, uh, benefit, and yet Trump and and Mick Mulvaney uh, are determined to, you know, shut. That down, right? And because
0: Republicans would argue that it's just more government overreach and bureaucracy. And right. and then you know the flip side to that is the argument that that you just made, which I, I think is is valid at this point to at least take a look at the merits of that because I, the American people. How Donald Trump gets elected is because the American people are starting to catch on to how the system is not necessarily fair to them, and he gave them what they wanted, whether it has merit or not, and made them believe he would be their champion. Meanwhile, he is the biggest projector of things that he's doing on everybody else on a daily basis, and it frustrates me that so many people buy into it which leads me into let's talk a little bit about Trump and his um, uh some of his projects for mostly Trump Soho because Felix Sater who was supposed to um, testify last week in front of in front of Congress, was someone I was looking forward to because I became familiar with Felix Sater during the election, partially because of your reporting on that, which was so extensive. Um, and I, I want you to talk a little bit about who Felix Sater is, and were you surprised that he pulled out at the last minute from testifying? Because he ended up not testifying, claiming it was a health issue. But I thought, hmm, that's interesting, given who Felix Sater is and what he knows. Else. Well,
1: Felix Sater is a Russian-born violent criminal and con artist who has spent his entire life cheating people. Um, and at the same time, by cooperating with the federal government in pursuing Russian-speaking organized crime groups and claiming that uh, he has done us great favors regarding um, Osama bin Laden and some others, uh, stayed out of jail. And in fact, had the court record from a $40 million tax scam that he not tax scam, an uh, investment swindle that he ran, uh, uh, it was a double-sealed case. That is, uh, there are lots of cases where the record is sealed, uh, the people of the United States of America versus uh, um, uh, Felix Sater, but then he can't look at the file. This one, even the existence of the case, parts of the case were sealed, and he, he still Keeping lots of records sealed.
0: And that's highly unusual.
1: I want people to understand that. It's extraordinary. In the entire United States, there appear to be. Under 100 double-sealed cases, 75 of which are in the U.S. federal courthouse in Brooklyn, and what that tells you is they're Russian mob cases. Right. And that Russian-speaking criminals have figured out that if they can, in one way or another, make a deal with us dealing with the Russian Federation and the the Kazakhs and the other uh, former Soviet Um, uh, countries, that they can get away with all sorts of crimes. And so Felix Sater, Donald Trump uh, testified under oath. He hardly knew Felix Sater, wouldn't recognize him if he came in the same room. In fact, he traveled with Donald on Donald's private plane for years. They did numerous business deals together. He had an office in Trump Tower near Donald's office. He had a business card from Donald. And in the Trump Soho project, you see the fullness of this relationship. And there's video of Donald and uh, Felix Sater and another Russian at the uh, opening of the project. This was a project in lower Manhattan that was a high-rise building with both luxury apartments and office space. Um, This uh, Donald was supposed to get 18% of the profits. Uh, He signed a letter authorizing a restructuring of the finances of the project. People who bought units lost money. Bankers who loaned uh, money on the project lost money. Contractors, at least some of them, lost money. The building took in a lot of money, all of which disappeared after Donald Trump signed this letter into an Icelandic bank that was part of a group controlled by a Russian oligarch. Shocking. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yes, but it, it, it is uh, uh, you now exactly what happened beyond that. We don't know, because once money disappears into Russia, a kleptocratic society led by the head of a criminal gang, Vladimir Putin, whose, whose gang members are the oligarchs, uh, who knows what the heck was happening. But Donald has numerous connections to the oligarchs. For example, he appointed Wilbur Ross mm-hmm. to be Commerce Secretary. Bank Wilbur of Cyprus.
0: Ross, Let me guess. We're going to go with Bank right, of Cyprus.
1: Right. Yeah, that's right. Will, we'll talk Wilbur about Ro- Will, Well, Wilbur Ross, I first met Wilbur roughly 30 years ago when he was uh, working for the Rothschild Banking Interest in bankruptcy cases. And he's really good at what he did, which was uh, looking at a company that's going broke and figuring out how to extract money out of it for his, uh, then for the banking firm he worked for, and then he went into business for himself and made a lot of money. He, he's he's publicly claimed to be worth $3 billion, but his financial statement shows that it's uh, more like like seven hundred million. A lot of money nonetheless. Sure. And Wilbur Ross becomes vice chairman of the Bank of Cyprus, a little island off the coast of Turkey, which is a major home for Russian expatriates. In fact, most of the foreign direct investment in Russia comes from Cyprus. It's really Russian money that comes out of the country and goes back in through what's called round tripping. Uh and who is the other vice chairman of the bank of cyprus it's an appointee of vladimir putin and who is the president of the bank of cyprus well it's the disgraced former head of deutsche bank the only bank that loans donald trump money in the last twenty years and a bank that has paid over $600 million in fines for laundering money for Russians in Germany, in Cyprus, and in the United States. Just let me stop and- you really quickly. Yeah. For Deutsche yeah. Bank, just for my listeners to
0: understand, Deutsche Bank is also now under scrutiny here in the US because of a whistleblower who came out and said that there were suspicious uh, activity reports that were being suppressed concerning um, right. Jared Kushner and. And money transfers with russians during the right. campaign that's happening right now so deutsche bank is a, is is a name to remember because of
1: things that we're talking about right now and Deutsche Bank is, by the way, a relatively small bank. It's nothing compared to the big U.S. banks like Citibank and, and uh, Chase. And it has this long history of not just laundering money for Russians, but all sorts of help for criminals. I was writing about uh, Deutsche Bank as a key seller of Sham corporate tax shelters that I was exposing back in the late 90s, when I was called by a prominent business professor, the de facto chief tax enforcement officer of the United States. <laughs> and and from the from an American perspective, it is more than reasonable to see Deutsche Bank as a criminal organization. And I don't understand, frankly, why we have allowed them to continue to do business here in the United States, because banking is a privilege, it's not a right.
0: That's right, and it's, uh, it and should be no, and it should be, it should raise a lot of red flags for people that this is the banking institution that Donald Trump has prominently worked with, since no American right. banks would work with him after he went bankrupt multiple times in the 90s. But it's right. Deutsche Bank that
1: does all this business
0: with him and has kept him afloat. That that and- alone should w-
1: warrant more scrutiny, in my opinion. And one of the things, Tara, that congressional investigators should be looking at is why did deutsche bank loan money to donald particularly when he refused in 2008 to brief pay a 40 million dollar loan well banks often will make loans because of some other arrangement. If you're a wealthy parent who's a good customer of the bank, like Fred Trump, Donald's father, was, uh, Chase Bank to stay in good graces with Fred, loaned Donald money, including an illegal mortgage on uh, Mar-a-Lago when he bought it. They didn't record the mortgage. New York State law says all mortgages uh, issued by New York banks must be recorded. I actually have the letter promising not to record it to blatantly violate the law. So, so it raises the question, is there somebody we're not seeing somewhere in the Russian oligarchs or in among the Saudis or the Emirates who is somehow um, telling Deutsche Bank, go ahead and make these loans. Don't worry about it. Um, and congressional investigators really need to get to uh, the core of what's going on with Deutsche Bank and the Trumps and the Kushners. Do you have comments? Uh, and they do, do have- need.
0: Do you have confidence that the state of New York is looking into this? Because it seems as though people were hoping, because I've always said, follow the money. And I was hoping that there would be a little bit more about that in the Mueller report. But then, you know, further analysis, realizing that that was really not Mueller's mandate. But then knowing that there were 14 other cases out there that he referred, I'm hoping that this comes out somewhere. That somebody in New York is, is, is doing these investigations because it, it it's really, really corrupt
1: well letitia james who is the newly elected attorney general uh in new york has said she's going to vigorously pursue these we know they've been issuing uh requests for documents and so presumably they they will pursue this and we will see this stuff uh and of course the new york legislature has passed some legislation that uh encourages the state to proceed on several fronts. So uh, uh, one hopes so, but you're also dealing with an incredibly complicated murky world. I'd say something interesting I uh, one of I have a relative who died in uh, overseas. She was an American uh, diplomat, and we have to clean up her estate after she died because she didn't have a will. And we've had to repeatedly send money to another country to maintain her uh, uh, home there. Until we can settle the estate, every time I go to the bank, I have to go through a long questioning process to you know, establish that we're not narco-trafficantes, that we're right. doing this for legitimate business reason. You know, why are we sending this money to um, another country? None of that was done with Jared Kushner and Donald Trump. It's unbelievable. They just, yeah. Well, and the reason is, of course, they were doing millions of dollars of transactions, and the bank wanted their business during the Bernie Madoff scandal, where you know he just was running a Ponzi scheme. He never invested any of the money that he had. Um, it turned out that the uh, uh, ethics officer, the the compliance officer assigned to him by Chase Bank, was put under oath, and he was asked, "Well, what are your duties?" Well, I don't know. i to look after the account. He knew nothing about the law. He never made any inquiries. You know, He got a nice salary to be the fall guy. Right. And things went to pieces. Right. And, un- and, and I would argue, unfortunately for the American taxpayers, he isn't being prosecuted and imprisoned because if you're going to do that, you should go to jail.
0: Which is just to get back to Felix Sater um, because he is in the news now, and he's so there 's a lot of uh, tentacles out there that seem to lead back to him um, and the the Bayrock capital financing group trump soho his his involvement as an FBI informant and then not showing up to testify, do you think he 's ever going to testify, Felix Sater?
1: Uh, Only if he finds it in his interest to do so, and the national security people he's working with uh, want him to testify, and that depends on circumstances you and I aren't going to see. We've done two— big pieces at DC Report about Seder because one of the people who writes for us, uh, C. Collins, uh, got a judge to unseal some documents. So we did a piece about uh, things nobody knew about Seder uh, a couple of weeks ago at DCReport.org. And yes. then we have one that I did with Collins about the zealot of the Mueller investigation. And Woody Allen had a movie about yes. a guy who for decades kept showing up and everything in the news. And right. This guy, a lawyer named William Burke, he was the uh, Justice Department handler of Felix Sater. Then he turns out to be the lawyer working with Brett Kavanaugh's uh, nomination to the Supreme Court. And then he's working with Don McGahn, the White House counsel, who's the most important witness apparently that testified before Mueller. And then he's, I mean, he just, everywhere you turn, uh, you keep seeing this one lawyer, William Burke. It's just extraordinary. Nobody caught on to uh, his multiple tentacles into this thing. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it,
0: you know essentially when I read that story, what stood out to me was the fact that this William Burke, not only was he a former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York under Preet Bharara, which we're all familiar with, um, but the fact that he was uh, Felix Sater's handler, knows so much about what Felix Sater was doing for all those years as an FBI informant, and then also he's Don McGahn's guy, and Don McGahn's not, you know he's refusing to testify, Felix Sater's not showing up to testify, and and William Burke's uh, client list is an interesting one as well. Um, So I'm glad you're talking about that, because that's what I I was going to transition to. So keep talking about this, William Burke, because the associations are very interesting.
1: Well, I mean, there's, you know, government lawyers, government prosecutors routinely go to work for the other side after we've trained them as taxpayers. There's fundamentally nothing wrong with that. But it is astonishing to see how many places he in particular shows up. and part of the larger issue of what's going on here relates to burke and that in this way uh... today, even today, I got emails from people, you know, why do you keep saying the president was involved with the Russians? The report cleared him, and of course it doesn't. The Mueller report does not in any way do that. Um, Why was there no conspiracy charge brought in connection with the Russians when there's abundant evidence that there was a conspiracy going on? Because in a court of law, you've got to get the other side of it. And the Russian GRU officers, the Russian diplomats, the oligarchs, the cutouts, those people are never going to testify in court. We don't have access to them to uh, force them to testify. And so, of course, we can't bring those charges. And furthermore, in counter espionage, the object is not a criminal case. It is to detect, to uh, uh, uh disrupt and in many cases to leave what the operation is in place so you find out where the connections are
0: right and a lot of people so, don't understand that that's the role of counterintelligence operations right. and so and because the president has muddied the water so badly and a lot of his sycophants have done the same and shame on the Republicans who have jumped on the on board to discredit our intelligence community on these things they know better um, people don't understand that they're at, they're looking for things that don't exist. Like collusion. There was a lot of colludy shit going on with Trump and the Russians and his right. people. and But that's not what the criminal code is. Which is why I really want to see... Robert Mueller come up and testify, so he can, people need to hear it from him. Even though he's gonna be a straight, he's straight narrow, straight and narrow, straight shooter, but they still yep. need to hear it from him to explain it, because the American people don't have any idea. They have other things going on in their lives, they don't get it, but, they, but this needs to be explained to them. That's why I'm in favor of opening impeachment inquiries, because we gotta sell it to the American people to understand why Donald Trump has got to go, and what he's done is so egregious, and this is a perfect example.
1: Well- When the Watergate investigation began, I was a reporter at the San Jose Mercury, and then I moved to the Detroit Free Press. Um, There was this enormous skepticism, what's this about? Um, It was dismissed as a third-rate burglary, to use a White House phrase of the era. Mm -hmm. And Nixon, of course, had this overwhelming victory in the 72 election, where he won either 48 or 49 states. In August of 74, Nixon resigned because every member of the House Every single member in both parties was going to vote to impeach him, and all 100 senators were going to vote to convict him. So at the end of the day, Richard Nixon, who had been a U.S. military officer, naval officer in World War II, was a patriot. And he understood that you know he had to resign for the welfare of the country, and he did. Um, and on the other hand, here we have Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not a patriot. Donald Trump has no sense of patriotism. A man who takes at his word Vladimir Putin, a spymaster, literally a spymaster, a man who embraces and says he loves the murderous dictator in North Korea, a man who says he doesn't trust or believe all the U.S. intelligence agencies on Russian interference in our election and, and trusts that Vladimir Putin, when he says they we didn't interfere, and who meets with him with with no staff with him, and takes the notes of the translator when he has an American translator and has them ripped up, which is, by the way, illegal, and goes and meets with Putin with only a Russian translator, a man who, in the Oval Office, had a meeting with Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov and then ambassador to the U.S., uh, uh, Kislyak, doesn't tell the American press about this, invites in a quote-unquote photographer for the the task news agency with his photo bag and god only knows what, what electronic was in that, devices I know. were there and we learned of this from the russians not from the american government and he gives away sources and methods the the, the there are lots of times when reporters doing investigative work in the national security to know things and they tell the government what they're going to report when i was doing this in a in california i would tell the government here's what we're going to report and the what the they really worried about resources and methods. They didn't want you to disclose how they learned that information. Right, that you had the information was one thing. And and I you know and I've exposed spies and foreign agents in my career, though national security was never my my field. Um, and it, 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 Trump revealed sources and methods why does that matter well you're the intelligence uh head of the intelligence for the british government the australian government the israeli government the dutch government you're going to trust the white house with a secret well, of course are you not. kidding of i course know. not. This and lo and behold the new york times breaks this story which i'm sure will stand up over time that the u.s military and intelligence communities withheld from trump that they were engaged in cyber warfare on the Russian electric that's right. grid and, that's and, right. and it's pretty clear what they were doing they were they would shut down pieces of the electric grid to say to the Russians you know mess with us right. look what we can do that's to right you.
0: don't mess with us and you want to interfere right. in our elections you, you know you're trying to do asymmetrical warfare right. with us well we can give it right back to you and shut down your whole country
1: but that's they, they, right. they didn't tell Trump that's they were doing this now, that's extraordinary that's very worrisome because of our constitutional system um, but what's really worrisome is that you cannot trust the President of the United States with our deepest secrets because he will run and tell them to the Russians. Donald Trump is not a loyal American. I have called him a Russian asset. I think he is because that means the Russians think he's useful to them. Uh, uh, I've wavered on this issue of whether he's an agent, uh, which has Uh, largely the same meaning. I don't think he's paid by the Russians. Don't misunderstand me directly. But there's been so many failures. Done for him by the oligarchs, and have put so much money in his pocket that he is so deeply compromised. And you talk about a lot of that,
0: and you talk about a lot of that in your 2016 book. um, Because I I mean, it's just the it's extraordinary. We could we could talk for three hours about about Trump and his connections to the Russians, um, but that just seems to get swept under the rug. And I just don't get it. It's very frustrating that there's not more emphasis placed on it. Um, As we wrap up here, uh, you know, you you (laughs) I can't imagine 30 plus years of of covering Donald Trump. I mean, obviously, you've done other things, but just watching the arc of his career, um, you you probably were as horrified as the rest of us on election night when he actually won. Did you think he was going to win?
1: Well, on the day that he announced uh, some What, four years and a week ago, I dropped what I was doing because I was concerned that he just might make it because he had fainted the uh, politics reporting group out in 2012. In 2012, he said he was running for president, which he'd done previous times in the past, all the way back to the 80s. And he was covered seriously: MSNBC, CNN, CBS Evening News, the New York Times. Every Donald Trump seriously running for president. Two people, Lawrence O'Donnell at MSNBC and I, separately on the same day, said that's nonsense. He's running for a new contract for his TV show (laughs) with NBC, and he wants more money. And this is going to get him more money. And sure enough, Donald Trump announced one day, "Well, you know, I really should be president, and the country needs me, but my TV show needs me more." Well, the politics reporters all had egg on their face. Mm -hmm. And so, sure enough, exactly as I predicted when he announced in 2015, what did the politics reporters say? Oh, it's just a vanity project. Pay no attention. Right. And I kept saying, no, 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 no. You don't understand. It's real this time. And that's what you've seen happen here in Iran. Trump has claimed he was going to engage in this attack that would have killed 150 Iranians, which is totally disproportionate to taking out an unmanned drone. And then he backed off because what the Iranians were doing was trying to trap him into a situation that would make oil prices go through the roof and who gets their oil from Iraq and the rest of the Middle East China and Japan and what's about to happen a meeting of the G20 um, it, Donald knows how to manipulate things to make himself the hero of a story where he's really the villain of the story you know sort of think of the play Wicked where we get a whole new take mm-hmm. on the uh, the witches
0: and great show by the way anyone who has yeah, haven't yeah. seen it go see it it's a fantastic Fantastic
1: show! But go ahead. Yeah, sure. it, it take 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 your kids if they're like ten or twelve, so they understand yes. the reversals and things. Um, and Donald it, Donald here has once again shown that you know he is able to take the conventions of journalism and manipulate them to his advantage. He's he, he's really masterful at that. I mean, one of the things I, I admire about Donald Trump, and there's not much I admire about him, but I admire his extraordinary skill and understanding how to play the news media. He used to you know, claim he was his own PR man and plant news stories. Oh, he, yeah. He got David national Barron. news coverage. In 1990, he got national news coverage that John. he was having affairs with Madonna, Kim Basinger, the ex-wife of Alec Baldwin, and Carla Bruni, who later became the first lady of France. He wasn't having affairs with any of them. He hadn't met two of them, and Carla Bruni called him a nutcase. But first of all, rich guy in New York has mistresses. Why is this national news? Right, that's right. And and he and CNN covered that
0: at length when the when the, the audio tapes were revealed of him pretending to be his own PR guy.
1: Yeah. Um, which is but not crazy. At the, at, but at the time in 1990 when people, you know, outed him um, because his voice was too well known for him to get away with this right. stuff anymore. I mean, he had tricked the New York Times and other people by, because people didn't know his voice. It, it did get that kind of coverage and somehow Large segments of our population have inured themselves to this kind of behavior. Um, and remember, we live in a country where just today I got emails, angry emails from people about why aren't I reporting on all the people Hillary Clinton had murdered? You know, there's at least 31 dead bodies because she had the murder. This right. is just crazy nonsense. I know.
0: And I'm no fan of the but Clintons, but it's unbelievable. It. I know. It's, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's pretty unbelievable that we even talk about Hillary Clinton as much as we do every day when she lost the election years and she's ago. she's history. That's right. We what with why, but he has to have a villain, and, and he's been masterful, you're right, at doing that. My uh, John Ziegler just wrote a story in Mediaite about the interviews he did with Trump, did with Chuck Todd and George Stephanopoulos as examples of how he gets away with uh, telling all these lies, and, and he just inundates the interviewer with. BS. They can't fact check him enough at, 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 in real time. And he ends up not paying any price for it. And he, and John talks about, you know, ways that interviewers need to just kind of focus in on one or two subjects and force him to have to either admit that he's not telling the truth or expose him for it. Because if you, if you let him jump around, he wins. And that's what he's doing. It's like the deluge of BS all the time. We just can't keep up.
1: Yeah. And, and the problem with this is that TV needs access. And so TV compromises itself all the time about this. And TV is the major source of news now in this country, even though the heavy lifting is done by newspapers, right. by That's a handful right. of them. That's right. Uh, it's it's TV. And and
0: oh, it's there's also, one other
1: big thing going on here, Tara. Yeah. Just, um, yeah. As we I, wrap and,
0: up, I was going to say, I, what, do you I, work, I, what are you working on now? And and I suggest well, people go and check out your work at DCReport.org. I, mis- I misstated right. earlier, Com. it's DCReport.org. What are you working on now? Um, well, we so continue to, to
1: show it. how what's being done to our government. Trump has loosed these termites into the government who are destroying the investments we've made in scientists, in diplomats, in um, uh, career military officers, all throughout the government. Uh, your health and safety, is, you know, is endangered. We're, our air quality is already beginning to go down because of these changes Trump has made from where we you know we are a massively bigger country than we were when Richard Nixon signed the clean air acts and the clean water acts and yet our air and water's cleaner because we've used science and good policy to be more efficient and effective in our use of fuels to clean up toxic messes etc. Trump's undoing all of that. And the people who will die from cancer and heart disease and asthma will die after he's out of office but they will die. Um, we've you know, been exposing things like he delayed a worker safety rule with beryllium, a very useful but deadly metal. And every week that he delayed the uh, implementation of the rules, two more people will die because we have an average of over 100 people a year who die from this. And the horrible long-term damage is being done to our government, and we're not fixing things. All those levees that collapsed in We had this horrible flooding in the Midwest the worst we've ever seen, it's going to happen again, if not next year, in two or three years, because of climate disruption. And years of neglect preceded what happened. I don't want to exonerate the previous presidents and congresses that didn't properly fund maintaining dams and roads and bridges and levees, But are we moving with speed to repair these things so that we don't have more horrible damage? No, we're not.
0: Well, I mean, David, come on. We've had infrastructure week about five or six times since Donald Trump has been in office, and yet nothing seems to get done. You know, where I'm still, right. I'm still waiting for the the uh, white whale of infrastructure reform to to finally come to fruition, since, since that doesn't seem to ever happen, and that's uh, you know we're, we're Living in a never-ending infrastructure week, it feels like, and I just, uh, I just don't want the American people to get so exhausted with what's happening that they turn a blind eye and, and, and let let any of this
1: become normal. Um, yeah, fatigue but, is a terrible problem here. Don't get Trump fatigue. That's right. You know, stay active, v- vote, get your neighbors to vote, pay attention to the issues, and notice that things are not getting better. The best people we were promised—they were never the best people—and they're getting worse. And, you know, we we can do better than this. We are better than this. We we, we don't need to have a president who thinks it's okay to have children with lice crowded into rooms and told to sleep on cold concrete floors without soap and and toothbrushes and torn from their parents. We can do better than this, and we should be aiming to be the best that we can be, not the worst that we can be.
0: I agree, and that should not be a partisan issue. I think we should be able to agree on certain bases basic common decency and what America stands for. And um, it's going to take uh, people paying attention and saying enough is enough. David K. Johnston, thank you so much. Keep up the great work. You can find a lot of his stories at uh, DCReport.org. Check them out. It's fascinating, fascinating stuff that you really don't see anywhere else. So uh, David, thank you so much for, for coming on, Honestly Speaking, and spending so much time with us. We, I, I, I got to have you back because we there's so much more we could have talked about. But we're already an hour in. We were going to do a half an hour, 25 minutes. Here we are an hour, and we still haven't scratched the surface. But thank you so much. And um, Thank you, Tara. I'll have you back. Keep up the
1: good work. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Again, big thank you to David K. Johnston for joining me on this week's edition of Honestly Speaking. Be sure to check him out at dcreport.org. That's it for this week. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Tara or on Twitter at honestly underscore Tara or at Tara Setmayer. And I will respond. Let me know what you liked, what you didn't like, any any future guests you'd like to see or subjects you'd like to talk about, let me know. I usually will respond. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week.